We talk a lot on this podcast about chess improvement, but when it comes to improving your hiring processes, Indeed is the platform you need. Indeed has over 350 million global monthly visitors, and it has a matching engine that helps you find quality work candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with your candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Years ago, when I was running a chess teaching business, I found it hard to find good help, and I had to go through a lot of back and forth to even screen potential candidates. Indeed allows you to do those things efficiently in one place. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed for hiring, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of Perpetual Chess will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility if you go to Indeed.com slash chess. Just go to Indeed.com slash chess right now, and you'll be supporting our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast, Indeed.com slash chess. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, everyone. I'm Ben Johnson, and this is the Perpetual Chess Podcast. On Perpetual Chess, I have weekly conversations with the chess world's best players, promoters, and educators about their lives, careers, current projects, and best practices. For more information, go to perpetualchesspod.com. Okay, I am here with the hosts of the Notorious FEB, the Full English Breakfast, my favorite chess podcast, Macaulay Peterson and Lawrence Trent. I think most listeners will be familiar, but thanks a lot for coming on, guys. Our pleasure. Thank you, Ben, for having us. So I've, when I created this podcast, I made a long list of people I wanted as guests, and you guys have both been on it the whole time, and I'm so glad to have you guys back podcasting. So I'm glad that we could collaborate and uh, exchange stories and uh, do our part together to promote chess and give, give the people something to listen to when they're not in front of their computers. Yeah, that's, it's great. Uh, I, I have been listening to it from day one. In fact, Lawrence was the one who initially told me about it. Nice. We, we had just started talking about relaunching the FEB, actually. This was in December, obviously. And yeah, I remember you sent me an email and you said, have you seen this? And I clicked on it and it was Perpetual Chess Pod. And 
Yeah, and and it was it was just funny because I, I think we had had lunch like the previous week, and we're talking about, hey, why don't we restart the FEB? There's no, there's still no chess podcasts out there, and then it was like, bam, new chess podcast. <laughs> but but we were we were both immediately uh, fans, and it's also uh, a completely different format. So uh, I think for anybody who's into chess and who's into podcasts, they're uh, uh, totally complimentary. Yeah, I agree 100%. And uh, I was really glad to hear that you guys are were back. I mean, you guys were the originals. And generally, I mean, I think we all agree. We, you know, it's important in the chess world to uh, adopt an, an abundance mindset. Uh, we all need to be trying to grow chess together. Uh, and if we do that, we're all going to have successful careers. If we're fighting over turf, it's going to be ridiculous. So I'm so glad you guys are back. And, I, and as I mentioned to Anna Rudolph... Uh, I don't like listening to my own podcast because by the time it's come out, I want to move on. It's like a project. It's like an art painting that you can't change anymore, you know? So, <laughs> so when you guys come out, I'm thrilled because the reason I created this was because there was no chess content uh, that I could listen to on the go. So now with you guys back, there is. So I welcome you guys and anyone else who's thinking of throwing their hat into the ring. I think it's for the betterment of chess. Well, great. Yeah, I agree with that. I, that's, I think, um, as McCauley said, I think we complement each other. Um, so, so that's really great. I think if we had too many pods out there, it might have a negative effect long term. But certainly, I think we've got a you know we we got a good thing going. And I'm really looking forward to getting grilled by you, Ben. Oh yeah, it's coming. It's coming. The cross examination <laughs> is coming. Don't get too comfortable over there, Lawrence. I'm not. I'm. I, I'll actually. Yeah, I might stand up or something while this is going on. Like I used when I used to work on the sales floor. The phone right. in my hand, you know, stand up and pitch like that. Oh, well, actually, that's something I want to hear about. Let's hear about the sales floor, Lawrence. I always like to hear about the non-chess jobs. Yeah. Well, I mean, it wasn't so. So for about four or five years, I was working in London, uh, working in um, in media, media sales, advertising and various related other stuff where I was uh, <laughs> where I, I learned the bread and butter of sales and uh you know, I w- it was a very, very important experience for me. I learned a lot. Um, certainly turned me from a boy into a man, being on the on the phone and doing presentations as well in person and being told no a gazillion times. It allowed me to grow an extremely thick skin, which has served me since then. Um, the job itself has its limitations, uh, but you know, by the end, I was you know managing a small, small team, um, and it was kind of it wasn't boiler room stuff, but it wasn't either you know it wasn't like the most uh, sophisticated stuff either. It was some something in the middle, and but I really had a, a great time there. I had a lot of good friends who I'm still in touch with. We really bonded as a floor, and you know, but a bit like many other sales floors, it's, it's uh, there's a buzz, there's a buzz about it when you get in a deal, and you know, you, you sell a product, and um, your bells are ringing, and your name gets announced, and yeah, there's there's all kinds of incentives in the company. I, I really enjoyed it, I really, really did. Uh, but when I did leave the company, um, I was. I was relieved that I left at that time because it's also one of those jobs where if you stay in it for too long, you do inevitably get trapped in it. And um, I just felt like I, I definitely wasn't fulfilled doing it. But um, 
very different to the chess world. I'd love to see some of these chess players, you know, trying to pitch on the phone, cold calling. Oh, it would yeah. be just my imagine that like the world's top 10 trying to pitch. I mean, most these of guys us are well, the real world, you know, they don't know the real world. This is true. And I think it uh, it prepared you well, because between your chess announcing and your the managing that you did for Fabiano, yeah. I can't think of a better job to prepare you for those uh, two tasks. Basically, it's all flowed. You're right. I, I mean, from the from the commentating side, the, the reason I got into the commentating was two reasons. Firstly, because of the job, it trained me how to talk and how to be confident whilst talking, uh, public speaking, essentially. And secondly, that also, it all is also because of the Phil English Breakfast, believe it or not. When we first launched it back in 2009, it was Malcolm Payne who was the, um, the, uh, the director of Chess and Schools and Communities and, of course, the London Chess Classic, who heard the podcast and he said, Lawrence, I think you'd be really good at commentating. And, of course, I'd done bits and bobs prior to that, but doing a live commentary gig I hadn't done. And I just thought, do you know what? Yeah, I could do that. And, and I didn't really look back since then. So I've been... Comment, sorry, I was commentating kind of full time uh, for a few years. Uh, I did all the I did the biggest tournaments in the world. Um, did them all from the World Championship finals to internet tournaments to super tournaments. I I had a blast. I travelled round. Macaulay and I have worked on a number of projects together, um, and of course, then we collaborated more full time for Chess Twenty Four when I was working there a bit more full time. Um, and so, yeah, so my job really prepared me for that. And, uh, when it comes to the managing side of things, of course, uh, yeah, having previous management experience, of course, yes, it is a different environment and it is a very different thing to manage somebody, an athlete to a team of people. But, you know, when, when, for example, we managed to achieve our first sponsorship agreement with the Liberty Science Center, uh, for Fabiano, I think uh, my previous work did me well, though I also was, um, I suppose I was, I, I was extremely lucky to find somebody like Paul Hoffman, who um, you guys know, of course, very well, who's been around US chess for, for many, many years, and of course, who knew Fabiano very well. And when I presented the proposition to him, um, you know, it was... Um, yeah, it was it was very well received, and uh, so yeah, it, it's it's all kind of, I suppose, looking back now, it's it it has flowed. It, it, it there's been a natural progression in my in my life. So I, I you know when I think of the days where I was fed up, cold calling or pitching people for a product that, you know, in my heart I knew wouldn't change their worlds but had to convince them that it would change their worlds when i think about those miserable days i actually realized just how much it helped me to um to 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 arrive at something where there was true meaning and so the work with fabiano and that kind of there was a there was a true sort of desire uh to to make partnerships work so yeah so i can't be too unhappy Okay, well, I've got some more questions for you, of course, yeah. about uh, working with Fabiano, but I don't want to leave Macaulay out in the cold Please either. Do. So, <laughs> so right, I got my feet up and I'm having my rice wine <laughs> shorla over here, you know, very right. German. So before we get to that, Macaulay, how did you and Lawrence initially hook up? 
a disclaimer guys uh you know uh, i love the guys he, you know, <laughs> I know where this is going. we together <laughs> right it this... is it has been a purely professional relationship right the longtime <laughs> listeners will detect a a homoerotic undercurrent between lawrence and steven from the original uh, set true. of podcasts but that never I'm went this current. way what are you talking about okay, <laughs> yeah. okay. Um, anyway, we uh, we were both at the Gibraltar Chess Festival, um, and uh, I was uh, still at the time with uh, the ICC and had uh, had just gone down to to do some uh, coverage as I did. I traveled to many tournaments and and did on site reports. And uh, Lawrence was playing, and I think you were playing, right? Yes, I yeah. was playing. You were you were playing, and we. Just uh, struck up a conversation at you know at the during the social hours uh, and um, yeah, uh, kind of one thing led to another. We're talking about podcasts. I've been listening to podcasts for many years. I mean, since long before they were they blew up and became popular over ten years, and um, uh, and decided that this would be something that uh, we could try. Um, I was fortunate at ICC to uh, be able to basically experiment and and try new things and suggest stuff and kind of invent my job as I as I went and so this was one of those endeavors um but you know partly because there was no uh there w- there was a, a much smaller podcast audience at the time there was no clear way to handle the publishing of it and promote it through ICC as it existed then um it wasn't something that uh, that uh, we sort of decided to pursue as a company, but when I left there, um, when I resigned from there in October of 2010, um, one of the first things that I did actually was get back in touch with Lawrence and Stephen and uh, start mm. start thinking about doing a a 2.0 version, if you will, um, and that's what we did for um, basically monthly at the peak, bi-monthly, uh, ended up doing about uh, uh, 30 episodes, including if you count some part twos. Um, and, and that's where we then left it, uh, until, um, well, until just recently, we, we briefly came back in 2014, uh, while uh, we were both at, at chess 24. Um, but, uh, it's, you know, it's a time consuming project and we were both busy with other projects and this was always uh, a little bit more of a labor of love and a hobby for us. And so we didn't, uh, manage to come back in, in full force. Um, but now we've been back with five episodes. Uh, six is the sixth one is in the can, and so uh, trying to to keep it a weekly thing. And well, you know how yeah. how challenging that that can be, Ben, because you've managed to publish weekly uh, right along now for uh, over three months. Yeah, it's definitely a challenge, uh, especially in I have a hard enough time getting booking a guest with my schedule. But you guys, between you two and Simon, and uh, working in an interview. Uh, I can only imagine how hard it is to stay on top of. Yeah, we're still trying to figure it out. Oh, I just wanted to give a quick shout out to Simon as well, who's obviously not with us on this uh, on this pod today. But um, Simon is now very much a, a big part of the FEB family. Um, he, um, I've known Simon for many, many, many years, and um, he's a, he's a, he's just a great guy. We're very, very, uh, very big, big character. And, yeah, and to he, have him on the pod is, is just fantastic. 
he's new to the show, but he was also at the the same Gibraltar Chess Festival where we met. He was doing commentary, and then um, for several years after that, I produced the webcast for the Gibraltar Festival, um, where Simon was doing the commentary. So yeah, we also met around the same time. Yeah, Simon is quite a character, and seems to, I you know I've had nothing but good interactions with him. Had him as a guest, of course, and he seems to be one of the most loved people in chess. So. Uh, I think he's just um, he's a breath of fresh air when it comes to the commentary side because he's not he's he's quite the opposite of dull, right. and he really he really he he really puts his all in into it, and he he's got you know and he doesn't claim to be perfect, and you know make, he he laughs at himself as well when he can't pronounce a long Russian name and that kind of stuff, and it's and it's very nice because he he's not some arrogant big-headed, uh, you know, 2,700-plus uh, grandmaster who thinks everything he says is is with a touch of gold. And uh, so he, there's something very real and very raw about Simon, which is why I think he, he in the past year or two, has, has grown uh, in, you know, his status and his audience has grown in his fan base is really what I want to say. He's got a tremendous fan base. Um uh, for for his work with Ginger GM, for his work on the Pro Chess League, and for Chess Base and uh, everything else, he, I, I don't really hear any bad words about Simon, and rightly so, because I think he's great for chess. Yeah, we're I lucky to get him on board, uh, and uh, he was, you know, a natural fit and and uh, took to it right away. So uh, yeah, been yes. really, really glad to have him uh, coming in to complete our trio. Yeah. Okay. Enough praising Simon. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so Macaulay, you, uh, you're uh, a year or two younger than me, I believe. And we both came up in American chess circles. You're from New York, I believe. And you went to Hunter and Princeton. Is that correct? That's right. Uh, so first of all, I have to ask you if my math is correct, you were at Hunter at the same time as some true American big shots like, uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda, creator <laughs> of Hamilton and, uh, Chris Hayes, uh, TV That's show right. host Chris, is- Chris Hayes and I were on the JV basketball team together, and Lin Manuel was was one year behind me. But we did musical theater together. In fact, on my YouTube channel, there's a clip of Lin and I dancing together in Godspell. Uh, I was he was Judas to my Jesus when I was in eleventh uh, grade, and he was in tenth grade. That's hilarious. Uh, why why aren't you in Hamilton then? <laughs> well, uh, he, he was had a little bit more talent than I did. Um, uh, that was pretty evident to to everybody who was involved in theater at, at Hunter that uh, that the kid was going places. Um, uh, and uh, well, I would say that both of them are are extremely good at at what they do and uh, deserve the the, pra- the praise and notoriety that they've they've garnered. Um, so I I actually have bumped into Lynn totally randomly in Madrid in like a random square <laughs> um, before Hamilton, but after in the Heights. So he was already blowing up, but not quite as, as big as he's now after Hamilton. And uh, yeah, we've, we've crossed paths a couple of times and always had a great conversation. And, and uh, yeah, so I, I, you know, he's the kind of guy now who everybody wants a piece of his time, but, uh, but uh, has always been uh, uh, very down to earth uh, when you speak to him. And, yeah. So, but Hunter, of course, had a lot of uh, notable figures, including uh, in the chess scene. We had one of the first, I think, not the first, but maybe the second uh, curricular chess program in the country, starting in the late '70s. So before I was there, 
Um, and that's one reason why it's always routinely been uh, at the top of the national rankings uh, ever since under Sunil Wiramantri, who was my first coach. And now, um, uh, yeah, well, has been one of the premier scholastic uh, coaches in the country for decades. And Hikaru stepped at us. Most listeners probably know. Yeah. Funny story about Hunter. My sort of generation, my class, um, we never won the nationals. Uh, We were second, I think, like five times and somehow always got edged out in the last round. And it was it was a huge source of frustration uh, for me, especially, I think, I think for everybody. Um, we had a, a pretty strong team, but not a huge amount of depth. Um, certainly that was the case in high school. Um, and uh, so somehow we never, we never quite got it done. But then the teams immediately before us and the teams immediately after were, were quite dominant. <laughs> Yeah, those things always go in cycle. I know that I went to Masterman in Philly, and we were always rivals with you guys at Nationals. Always crossing swords. Uh, But yeah, it's it's all uh, all in good fun. And then you you went to Princeton, and as far as I recall, Peter McCauley, you've basically always worked in chess. Did you? I mean, I know you've been into film and editing, but did you always know you wanted to work in chess? No, uh, it was just kind of something that I did on the side. Uh, I actually had my first student when I was about 12 and was teaching like friends of my younger brothers for $5 an hour. Um, and then I combined chess and babysitting, uh, when I was a little older. And so when I went to college, uh, it was only natural to start a chess program and, and just found a, a local elementary school that had an after school chess class and kind of took it over. And then over the next three years, expanded it to three classes on two different days, so six classes. And we, we did very well in the state championships. And then I added another school and then another school. And then at some point around my junior year, I realized that my, uh, my academic performance was actually uh, starting to suffer a little bit because I was doing too much uh, chess coaching and, and entrepreneurship. Uh, so I kind of scaled back a little bit at that point. Um, and since then, my teaching has, has been much, uh, much more limited to uh, coaching at the Odd Nationals. Um, and, uh, and for about six months when I was in New York, I did, uh, some, some school programs as well. Um, but that, that, uh, the, the chess media side came much later. Um, yeah, after doing some film and then going to do a film studies master's in Amsterdam, um, it was just close to the, uh, Tata Steel tournament, uh, which was then called Chorus in, uh, Vikanze. And I went and did a, a profile on Gadakamsky, who was making his return um, at that time for Chess Life magazine, which I had, I had done one or two shorter pieces before that. Um, and while there, I uh, just completely on a whim uh, decided to uh, write to ICC and uh, suggest that I do some on-site reports from the press room completely on spec uh, and would dial into their their little Skype commentary call and uh, and do these these little short segments that were well received enough that uh, a few weeks later they said hey how would you like to go down to Linares and do that again and um, yeah kind of one thing led to another and speaking of profiles uh, you're still doing a little bit of writing for Chess Twenty Four I noticed and I really enjoyed your profile of Fabiano in Chess Life that just came out so how'd you get connected with Fabiano Macaulay? Um, let's see. Do you well, know anyone I mean, who knows him? I mean, Fabiano and I, we actually played 
in the same tournaments in the Marshall Chess Club when he was still living in Brooklyn. Um, so I, I, I didn't know him personally, but at least, well, uh, we, we would have been in the same room together. Um, and I, I knew Bruce Panolfini, who was one of his first coaches. But I actually got connected with him while, um, while I was already working with the ICC to do a story um, on his, he had, I think it was his first Italian championship um, after he was living in Budapest. And I, I interviewed him at a small tournament called Rocco de Papa in, I think it was 2007, and that came out on, on uh, U.S. Chess in January of 2008. Um, and basically, after that, we just uh, would cross paths at tournaments. I mean, you know, he played, he came up uh, doing Vikenze. He played in the C group and then the B group. He won the C group played the B group, won the B group, played the A group uh, many times. And uh, so, yeah, just got to know each other. Then later he played in the NH tournament and um, from there into the Amber Blindfold and Rapid. And, um, well, I was I was very fortunate to have the opportunity to produce videos from both of those events, which were connected um, in the last years of the Amber Blindfold and Rapid. That's the Monaco slash Nice tournament that uh, sadly ended in 2011 after 20 years. And um, uh, both of those were, uh, the tournament director was uh, Dirkian Tenchosendam, who's also the editor of New in Chess magazine. And so, you know, the chess world is, is kind of small and, and uh, everything is connected in, in various ways. Um, and so, but it's really been uh, just a uh, good fortune and, and uh, a privilege to kind of have one assignment uh, dovetail into and lead into the next one um, that's been able to take take me all around the world um, uh, exploring the, these interesting characters. Yeah, and it's nice that you've made a, a bit of a soft landing and you're able to raise a family in Hamburg now without as much travel, I would guess. That's true. Um, the last few years, I've definitely been able to pick my spots a bit more and Lawrence are you in Hamburg too I I am I am indeed yes how does uh how does an Englishman fare there um you know uh I've had uh I've had a pretty pretty good stay since I've been here I'll I'm a bit like Macaulay I'm I, I'm actually um, pretty disappointed with myself to a certain extent because I studied languages at university, so I studied romance languages and can uh, can get by more than get by in those. Um, but when I came to Germany, uh, I, I probably suffer from the same syndrome as many other Anglo um, uh, migrants here, uh, and that is that everybody more or less speaks English. So the motivation to learn German uh, wasn't as great and wasn't really, you know, I, I, I kind of got by. And because I was traveling so much until very recently, I was on the road with Fabiano and prior to that almost every two weeks, I never really got down and knuckled down and went to a, a school to study German. Um, but you know, I could. It's not like I don't speak anything. I can. I can do the basics, and I understand a fair bit. I just never went fully into it and and learning it properly, which is which is a shame, and it's something I might rectify now. Um, but in general, yeah, Hamburg's a, a great little city, very very 
the first thing I, I noticed when I came to Hamburg, I actually came to Hamburg many, many years ago because I was doing DVDs for Chessbase. So I've known Hamburg for a while. And whenever I came, I just thought this is, this is it's just such a quaint and clean place. Just, just a very nice place to look at, you know? When you're in London, I'm from London, of course, and yeah, coming from the, from the east side, there are some... Uh, areas with a bit more let's say character about them uh but in hamburg everything's just it's just so nice and um that's something i noticed when i when i first came so when i had the opportunity to come and move here i just thought well actually do you know what this could might be a nice change from uh, the hustle and bustle and madness of london which uh, as you know ben is is just hectic all the time and here you can there's a real, really sort of relaxing, uh, not too crazy feel about it. And I, I felt like I needed that. Yeah, it's a very um, easygoing city. And it's, it's yeah. great for, for foreigners, actually, because um, I think more so even than other parts of Germany, uh, there's this sort of Hanseatic uh, port, you know, uh, river port tradition that, uh, that people tend to be much more uh, welcoming of uh, different cultures and and immigrants, as well as, of course, the the English proficiency that Lawrence mentioned. So the the quality of, li- of life here is is uh, quite high. And and how's your German, Macaulay? <laughs> well, I think we're we're in a similar boat there. Um, <laughs> I I have uh, uh, the excuse that since we moved here right before my my daughter was born. Um, and now I have, have two and speak to my children in English and also at work, uh, everyone speaks English, uh, that has been the, the main office language. So pretty much, you know, my, my main exposure to German is when I go to, uh, you know, I have to go to a government building or the bakery or something like that, which is fairly far, few and far between. Um, so yeah, it's my, like Lawrence, my, my comprehension is decent, but, uh, my conversational German is, is sorely lacking. Yeah. It seems like a tough language. Um, I think it, I mean, I think it is and it, it isn't, it isn't. If you, I think being an English speaker, you've got a tremendous advantage already because so many words, of course, are similar, just a lot of cognates general. Yeah. Just, 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 yeah. Now just general nouns are very similar. And, uh, uh, obviously like with a lot of other languages, the, 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 the daily usage of English within those languages is also increasing. So I think, uh, there were, you know, if you look at Russian or, 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 or Mandarin or any, any slightly stranger language, yeah, it's, um, it's more difficult, but yeah, it's just as Macaulay said. If you're an English speaker here, you can kind of get by. So. Well, I I studied Latin in high school and then studied Russian in college, which of course is not based on Latin. And then came here and trying to learn German, which has nothing to do with Russian. So I didn't really do it in a, in a logical progression. But as a language, it's definitely simpler than Russian, which is well, probably about as complicated as Latin, maybe still a little bit simpler than Latin uh, grammatically. So, and it's also pretty logical. Um, so there aren't, there are so many irregularities. I mean, I've actually come to appreciate how, uh, in a way, uh, difficult English is, not so much in its structure, because you basically, it's basically, you know, learn the vocabulary and you can be understood. But it certainly does have a lot of really wacky, irregular 
oddities to it that uh, that you don't find uh, in in German. Mm. Plus, regarding German, we already know Zugzwang and Zwischenzug. <laughs> We know make luft. So. That's right. That's right. Yeah, can, that's all you need to we know. We can right? analyze a chess game. We can do a postmortem <laughs> with our opponent when we play a tournament. That's really all that matters. <laughs> right. Yes. Um, okay. Well, moving on. Um, we've obviously been talking about Fabiano a fair amount, but Lawrence, I do want to dig in a little bit to your your managing experience with mm-hmm. him. So, when was the when was the seed planted in your mind that you might be a chess manager of a of an elite player? Um. So actually, the idea of doing something like this. Um, happened a fair while before uh, my and mine and Fabiano's relationship started. I always felt like um, with my experience from the commercial side as well, that uh, if an opportunity did arise that, that perhaps I could investigate it. And um, so it was always in, in the back of my mind that I might make that transition one day. Um, but with Fabiano, I suppose really what happened was it was at the end of uh, 2014, I believe, or was it 20? Yeah, 2014, I believe, at the London Chess Classic, where um, he'd just had this amazing result at the Sinkfield Cup. And, um, you know, he was, he was 28. He, yeah, he got to 28.50, and then he had a slight you know, I would say a natural sort of regression rating wise, because, you know, to, to maintain that rating is obviously extremely difficult. So he, he came down a fair bit since his result at Sinkfield Cup. But what astounded me was that, you know, this young kid who had clearly, you know, has got a bundle of talent, didn't really have anybody um, looking after his interests. Um, his dad uh had done most of that but he didn't have any sort of formal structure in that sense and he didn't have any major sponsors that was really the the big one for me and i i I found it um quite uh difficult to swallow that somebody of such a stature in our game hadn't actually got a serious sponsorship deal this is a guy who achieved the third highest rating in history and he he simply didn't have the support he so much deserves. Uh, so basically I approached him just off the cuff and said, look, you know, maybe I can help out in some way. And then I got in touch with his dad, who was the one organizing his, his affairs. And, um, you know, after some, uh, some negotiations, uh, we came to an agreement for me to, to, to sort of give it a try and I think what happened previously with Fabiano is that he had been approached by um, some agencies outside of the chess world, um, but that didn't quite work out. And it's a really interesting topic because if you look at the managers in the chess world, the managers of elite players, they are all, I think, pretty much all, unless I'm missing out one, chess players themselves. Uh, which is quite rare because if you look at other industries and other sports, uh, managers and agents uh, from a variety of different backgrounds, right? So I, I think what that shows is that in order to manage a chess player, you you really need to understand chess um, and the way chess players are. 
And I think why it didn't work with these other guys is because you cannot apply the same rules to mainstream sports as you can to chess. Uh, yes, they are all elite athletes, but their needs are very, very different. And a chess player's needs, we all know what us chess players are like. We ha- we're, we're a bit more quirky. We're a bit more particular. And I think from somebody, somebody from the outside world finds that difficult to, to stomach. Um, so, so that's really how it started. And then we were very fortunate, uh, at the time to, uh, uh to broker a, a, a partnership with Liberty Science Center. And then it kind of moved on from there where, um, I began to do more of a, a sort of all round job for Fabiano. So handling his day to day schedule, um, liaising with tournament organizers, media, PR, social media, the whole lot. And I was basically uh, responsible for, for pretty much everything. Um, and I was very proud of of my time with Fabiano. He, um, he had an excellent year, year and a half when I was working with him, which um, had a, a sort of bitter... Uh, one bitter or uh, note to it, which was, of course, the candidates in Moscow, where he was he was just so close to qualifying to play Magnus, and obviously it was yeah. it was heartbreaking for everybody involved, everybody on the team. Uh, but Fabiano showed how much character he's got when he he bounced back from that only two weeks later to win the U.S. Championships with an astounding performance. Um, and I was extremely proud of him to be to be there in St. Louis and then continue throughout the year to put in good performances, uh, finishing up, of course, with the Olympiad, uh, winning a bronze medal on board one and, of course, helping the U.S. to win their first Olympiad in many, many years. Um, so all in all, the experience was was extremely positive. And um, and, yeah, we're still on we're still on good terms. Um, speak to him a fair bit. I haven't spoken to him during the, the US champs. Don't want to distract him. Um, but uh, but yeah. Okay. So when you're when you're managing him, Lawrence, never having yeah. obviously you've got some uh, sales experience. Yeah. But how like you made this deal with the Liberty Science Center? Yeah. H- how do you know what to ask for in terms of uh, uh, money? Well, I, I basically did uh, a lot of research on what other elite players were getting. I, I, I carried out my due diligence and um, basically uh, prepared a, uh, a sponsorship uh, pa- package presentation where, you know, um, I'd approach a company um, and there would be different levels of sponsorship, which is quite standard. Um, and just uh, sort of agreed on a figure that we felt was merited his status. And, and of course, they would then get something in return for that in terms of personal commitment and obligations and that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, pre- pretty, pretty standard in that sense, in terms of actually... Well, is this- is this information on public record, or were you just able to to 
find out from your contacts in terms of what other players um, get? Yeah, yeah, it was more finding out from my contacts. It was, you know, speaking to people both within chess and outside um, about what a kind of premium or major uh, sponsorship deal should look like and what it would involve. So uh, I, I did a lot of just scouting around. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff on the internet, more stuff than you would know, um, as, as I'm sure actually you, you're you both aware of. It's there's, there's just so much information out there. So it was, yeah, it was just something I, I composed and, uh, um, yeah, we were very fortunate to to have them. As a, as, a, as a partner. Well, looking at it from my perspective, it just seemed like a fascinating job. I mean, I even even when you were a commentator, I was, I mean, before you were representing Fabiano, I was a, a fan of yours, Lawrence. But then when, when you started to uh, represent him, I just thought, wow, that's a perspective you don't get to hear from a lot of people. So, um, I'm, yeah. I'm, sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. Yeah, please continue. Oh, so I'm, I'm just, is this something you'd like to do again in the future? Um, that's a good question. Um, yeah, yes, it's something I can definitely see myself doing, but I learned a lot about what I cannot allow, um, if I were to do it again. And, uh, I know a lot of people have been reaching out to me and saying, well, why aren't you managing Fabiano anymore? You had such a great year. Um, when you were working together a year, year and a half, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, obviously, there's a lot of stuff that goes on behind the scenes that people don't know about. I'm not going to go into that on this podcast because I, I don't think it's fair. But what I have learned is that, yeah, I, I will definitely need to have a different uh, understanding with uh, anybody who's involved with the player or anybody who's already part of the team, if I'm going to do this again. And um, um, it's been a valuable lesson to me. So, you know, it, it, it came to an end. And as I said a bit earlier, there's no, uh, no hard feelings. I've still got extremely strong relationship with Fabiano. And I wish him all the best. I hope he, I hope he, he, he reaches his potential because I always truly thought that he could, he could reach the very top. So, yeah. Well, yeah. he's re- he's right there. That's for sure. He's right there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Macaulay, do you have? I feel like I should let you interview as well, since you are a professional. I, I know you guys have probably talked about this offline, but do you have any uh, questions before we move on to other topics for your friend Lawrence? You know, I, I uh, Lawrence is a big enigma. I, I, I try to get uh, information out of him, but he's he keeps it pretty close to the chest. So uh, I know better. Yeah, I, I saw uh, I saw your little clip with Jan when you guys were announcing an event, and you were getting grilled from the Chess Twenty Four audience, Lawrence. So I have some some sympathy for you because I know oh. there's only so much you can say. The best no, time to I get just... information from Lawrence was when he's doing banter blitz uh, overnight. He was doing midnight <laughs> right, to yeah. eight. Yeah, so if you got him around seven thirty in the morning after he's been uh, playing blitz for uh, seven hours straight yeah. uh, <laughs> in the chat, that was. I have to say that was. Um, I did that very recently and. Um, that was that was really really tough. I have to say, by day three, I was because I was still doing some work during the day, right? So, uh, having done a day's work and then to to do the banter blitz from twelve to eight, 
midnight, um, midnight to late in the morning. It, it was getting psychedelic out there for me. I, I, at some moment, six hours in, I was hallucinating. I didn't know what was going on. Um, you were blundering but, pieces uh, left and right. I was, oh, yeah, I was just blundering. I mean, I remember my last session, I think I lost 200 points. Off the, Luke Van Veli came in in the morning when he took over in the morning slot. And um, he said, Lawrence, what have you done? I just said, look, <laughs> buddy, I'm really sorry, but I just couldn't, I just couldn't see anything. I just, just went, I was just completely gone. So, but what it did remind me of, Ben, is the good old days when I was also a bit of a degen, grinding, grinding away, at the local uh, at the local card room, oh, uh, nice. you know, doing the the twelve tw- or twenty four hour sessions, which I I did many of, regrettably so. <laughs> and uh, you know, when when you've been at a place so long, the sun's come up, it's gone down, come up again. You don't know where you are. Your body clocks all over the place. It's a very very strange feeling, and that's what it actually felt like. Um, the only good news is that I wasn't losing tons of <laughs> tons of right, money. Yeah, it was quite a change. It was quite a nice change in that sense. So uh, yeah, I've noticed Lawrence when I yeah uh, I'm not super plugged into poker these days, but often yes. if I click on a poker player on Twitter, I'll see that you follow them because I follow you. Uh, I, so so what's your relationship with poker and what what has it been in the past? Yeah. So I mean, let's put it this way. Um, I. I, I started playing the game um, years and years ago, and I really got into it when I was at university, which was a really stupid idea because I was on a very tight budget, and um, <clears throat> um, and it was a really uh, unfortunate time to get into it. It was, it, you know, that we're talking about right around the boom time, two thousand three, two thousand four, two thousand five, and uh, I loved it. I loved it, and I, I definitely got the the bug. Um, and uh, I, I basically played recreationally for a long time, and a bit more than recreationally. I, um, I still do, um, uh, from time to time. And uh, I, I've kept up with it because, yeah, I, 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 I still enjoy it to some extent. There have been phases where I got really sick of it, um, but I still enjoy it for the most part. And I especially enjoy PLO, uh, which is uh, Macaulay probably, I, of course, Macaulay plays but PLO is a specific variant of of the game where you, you get four cards. It's actually a game which Peter Swidler, who you've interviewed, yes. is more of a specialist at. And Alexander Grishchuk, for example, is is a big winner online. I was never such a big online player like you, Ben. I've uh, just, uh, yeah, I, 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 I dabbled and then, you know, never without any success. But in the live games, there was definitely some success. And... Um, uh, even here in Hamburg, they have uh, they have some really big games from time to time, which I which I don't re- which I don't play anymore. But um, yeah, I really uh, really enjoy that variant. There are some other variants that I enjoy. I don't I don't really enjoy playing the most common variant, which is uh, Texas Hold'em, which probably Macaulay is 
more familiar with where you get two cards um so i i follow these guys i think also i think there's a lot we can learn as well from from the poker world because there are so many similarities and they're talked about very often but in terms of um you get a i think the variety of character in the poker world is much greater than in the chess world in some ways and um I just think that, that on some occasions we could learn how to make things more of a spectacle from from what these guys do. Of course, the problem, the, the, the perennial problem has been that with poker, because it's not a purely, purely skill game, anybody can win on any given day. And that gives a certain romantic feel about the game. But as things get more and more math-based, and I know you'll appreciate that this as well, Ben, is, you know, as things really do get, just start to become more um, GTO, as is so often used, game theory optimization, um, my interest in it actually started to perk again because, to peak again, I should say, because the fact that it's getting more mathematical as a chess player and more scientific well, that, that's nat- that's naturally interesting to me. Um, so, so that's why, yeah, I, I I follow everyone and I listen to the podcasts, all of them, um, and I watch the interviews. And so I'm still, how can I say, I'm always been recreational, never never been professional, never even thought about becoming professional because um, you need incredible amount of discipline. Uh, with your with your bankroll and that's something that yeah i never really <laughs> i never really had i so, seem to recall an incident where you were yes. doing commentary at the 2013 Grenka chess classic that i was yeah. producing the show and you wanted yeah. to go play some I, I guess it was poker you wanted to go to the casino but you didn't have yeah. a tie so you borrowed a tie from me so that you could go right. to the casino and, and play all night. And then the next day you came in to do the commentary and you were a little a little more tired than I appreciated as your producer. <laughs> yeah, I, I, also, I also remember that that was a very, very, very bad night for me. So it's, it's you know, um, ben, ben will know what I'm talking about is when it, it's no good. For, it's really no good for you. It's really, yeah. it's really just not, it's, it's just not good. And so many people um, lose a lot uh, in life, not just, uh, not just on the felt, but in life if, if they get hooked on it. So I managed to scale it back, which I'm very happy about. So. But it's a funny detail that the casino in Baden-Baden had a tie requirement. Yeah, well, that's... no, I mean, a lot of them do. A lot of them do in Germany, and a lot of them do in other places, you know, having a certain dress code. Um, because, you know, well, I mean, they have the right to do that if there is not slightly like more Vegas. upmarket. <laughs> no, not like not like Vegas. It, it was nothing like Vegas. Um, it's a very, it's a beautiful place. If you've ever, I don't know if you've ever been there, Ben, to the, to the place in Baden-Baden. Um, but uh, I haven't. I've been to one Baden. I've been to Baden, but not Baden-Baden. <laughs> Baden oh. in Austria. Oh, you were? Right, okay. <laughs> well, it was one of these gorgeous sort of something out of a James Bond film. You know, it's one of those ones. Right. Um, so the whole dress code thing is, is kind of understandable. 
Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. A lot of American poker players grumble when they go to Europe because they're used to wearing <laughs> their pajama. They're like flip basketball flops. shorts and flip flops. Yeah. Yeah. They, yeah. And, uh, well, no, I never you can't pull that off there. I never played, but I was uh, lucky enough to get to go inside the uh, the Monaco Monte Carlo Casino during one wow, of those that's the famous blindfold one, tournaments. Right? Yeah, speaking of James Bond movies, um, yeah, we we spent we spent a night there, but I was uh, mainly observing. Okay, well, let's. Yeah, I, uh, wish, I wish I'd done that. Yeah, that Probably. does sound like fun. I've, Monte Carlo, <laughs> I never I never made it to. I mean, I had some some good yeah. times and some good travels with poker, but not Monte Carlo. Um, so let's bring it to the present day and back to chess. So Macaulay, you're the you're the content director for Chess Twenty Four. So what's your day to day? What what does that entail uh, on a given day? Well, it's it's a, a wide variety of things. Um, anything from writing news to editing video, making promotions, um, doing B two B communications, uh, setting up tournaments, broadcasts. Um, it's really been quite a, a mix, and, and that's been one of the things that's been uh, most interesting about it is that uh, there is such a, a wide variety, and I, I got to work fairly independently there as well, uh, which is a great uh, a privilege of, of any job that you don't have someone who's uh, constantly looking over your shoulder or giving you assignments. So the day-to-day was very much uh, up to uh, myself, and um, and that is definitely something that I have always enjoyed, and uh, even as, as a freelancer and my previous job before that. Um, so I, I hope uh, to be able to, to continue uh, working in that vein. But uh, I'm going to break some news here. I'm actually going to be leaving Chess24 oh, wow. in June. Wow. So, uh, so we'll be moving on to, wow. to new Lawrence, challenges. Lawrence, you didn't know that? <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> wow, he's really breaking news. <laughs> Wow. Well, this is very, very recent. So only, only wow, I've, got a, I've got my first scoop. <laughs> That's right. Well, that I, I saved it for you. I thought it would be nice. Thank you, Macaulay. So what are you going to oh, be my. doing? <laughs> well, I, I, I really don't know yet. It's, you know, it's, I've still got a few months and uh, just, just uh, uh, this just uh, was sort of finally uh, decided uh, just last week. And so very few people uh, know about it uh, thus far. Um, but, uh, but, you know, if any of your listeners are looking for someone with a, a very strange and eclectic mix of skills running the gamut from writing and editing to video and audio and uh, chess playing and teaching, uh, you know, they can get in touch. I have a website. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't call it a strange mix of skills. For, to me, as someone who's – I can teach chess and, you know, I'm a liberal arts major. So other than that, like – uh, I don't feel like I have a lot of professional qualifications. I think you're well suited for a, a variety of uh, of jobs within the chess world. I mean, there's not a lot of people who've put in the time to learn how to edit video and produce podcasts and stuff like that. So I, I think you'll be fine. Yeah. Well, I'm not 100% certain that I'm going to stay in the chess world, although, of course, that would be uh, sensible in some respects. And I certainly have enjoyed my time in the chess world. But you know, um, also kind of at a, a point in life where, um, you know, where I could still make a, a more radical career pivot. And so that's also something that I'm considering, also considering going back to school. So, you know, it's it's really a, a wide open question at this point. What uh, what's any specific considerations with regard to school? Um, well, I've, I've been looking at a, a, a law and business program. Um, and I, I studied philosophy, so I, I also have an interest in a lot of philosophical subjects related 
but I don't think I would probably go to do a PhD, um, although I've also thought about that. Uh, I spent a lot of time thinking and writing about uh, bioethics, and um, and now I'm, I'm find myself reading a lot about artificial intelligence. And uh, well, there's there's a whole lot of of interests that I have, so it's it's really kind of a, a challenge just trying to decide uh, what to to hone in on, what to focus on. Um, and yeah, I'm just really at the very beginning of that process. So if, if you come, if you come invite me as a guest in, uh, in three or four months, then, uh, I'll probably have a better idea. Okay. Yeah. I'm sure it's a, a process to sort through, uh, all of, um, the possible paths before you. Um, but I wish you, the, I wish you the best of luck, Macaulay. Yeah. Uh, me too. That's come as a bit of a, bit of a shocker to me <laughs> as well. So, um, yeah, all the best. I'm sure we'll be speaking anyway. So you'll be fine. Don't yeah. worry. Well, yeah. I imagine you'll that you'll be fine. I imagine that uh, Lawrence and I will uh, will come up with some crazy ideas to to try some new things together too. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Speaking of which, uh, I feel it's my duty as a pseudo journalist on a on a recent uh, Full English Breakfast, Lawrence. You sort of yes. teased teased a new project that you might be coming. So yeah. Uh, so that one. So that one. I am gonna do what every poker player should do and I'm not going to reveal my cards on that one but uh, as I say as soon as I know more about what's going on um, they're, 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 basically what's happened is yeah I, I, I had an idea um, the idea was well received by uh, some people some people wanted to invest in that idea and the idea has morphed somewhat and now we're looking at which di- we, we really haven't established exactly the direction I want to go. So that's why there's been such hes- hesitation from my side about telling people what I'm doing next. But as soon as I, I have things a bit more clear, then, then I will. I've but, been trying uh, for weeks, Ben, and I haven't gotten <laughs> sure. anywhere. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. And w- would this, would this be a full-time project or? Oh yeah. Uh, no, no the, 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 the next move I make is a serious, uh, is a serious full time doing this properly for a long time uh, project. So, um, I will reveal more when I can. Okay, promise. and, and uh, yes, and uh, I, I understand if you can't answer this if it's too yes. uh, inter interrelated. But would you still be doing chess announcing, or is this possibly uh, um, a pivot? Possibly not. You're right. Yeah. Um, it if it depends on my time requirements for this. Um, uh, again, more will more will be known very very soon, uh, but I don't think I can completely leave the world of chess because because of the English yeah, breakfast, because of the English breakfast, what we're doing, and also exactly. just because it's very difficult to leave the world. Even the guys who have, you know, gone into business or different sectors, who really truly leaves? Is it, I mean, I'm trying to think of people who have really. I mean, even look at somebody like Gasser who who left for how many years and then came back. It's like you can't ever completely leave it. And there's probably been one or two characters that have completely gone cold turkey with the chess. But the large majority who leave chess come back in some way, be it 20 years later or whatever. They never truly leave it. It's because we love it, right? We love playing it and we it's been a part of our lives for so long. So I think it will be difficult for me to completely leave the game. You wow. know, funny thing about Gata 
He's threatened to retire on a number of occasions, so much so that when my colleague Colin decided to tweet out uh, an announcement that he was retiring as an April Fool's joke, nobody got it. And they immediately, <laughs> it was immediately retweeted like 15 times, and everybody was sending their condolences and, oh, please don't retire. And, you know, and it was just something that he had just made up on, on the spur of a moment. But, <laughs> but, but, you know, but, you know, like after his start at the U.S. Championships, yeah, there's, yeah. There's, I mean, you, it, it wasn't it was so jokey, well, right? But, it but was of course, really the best plausible. April Fool's pranks are the ones that are plausible That's that do true. try right. to sucker you into it a little bit. So, yeah, we didn't do a full fledged one this year, although we have had uh, some some classics the last two years. I think my favorite was, and it's not only because it was my idea, but <laughs> but it was it was also because I have followed the Topolov and Kramnik. Uh, you know, rivalry and and uh, being at loggerheads for so many years and have done videos about this uh, and the whole handshake business. And so uh, uh, one or two years ago, I had uh, uh, I managed to doctor a photo to make it look like they were having a grand old time uh, at a postgame press conference analyzing together and laughing <laughs> and, and then wrote a story around that. Um, so I, I do like a good April Fool's uh, yeah. fake news story from time to time. Nice. Well, I've only got a couple more questions for you guys, but Macaulay, I actually, I actually want to follow up on that because uh, that was one of those periods where, you know, Lawrence mentioned people coming in and out of chess. I was slightly less involved in chess at the time of that uh, Topolov Kramnik match, and I've never properly investigated what is there like a commonly held belief about what actually happened in the the initial uh, cheating accusation. Well, sure. Now, of course. It was actually before I was a chess professional because it was in 2006 and I didn't really get into it in a big way until 2007 um, and I didn't meet either of them uh, probably until, yeah, well, 2007. I think I probably met both of them because Topolov played in Linares and uh, I forget exactly where I first met, met Vlad, but have subsequently uh, – spoken to both of them about the other one too and lots of other people who were there or who were um you know uh, very connected with people who were there at the time i would say the the general uh feeling is that there wasn't any uh cheating going on certainly that that was uh something that was more or less a a psychological ploy on the part of of uh Veselin's manager silvio denilov um, rather than than uh, I mean you know there were just there just wasn't really any any evidence I mean they they published these really bogus photos of some Ethernet cable hanging from a ceiling and called that evidence but it's you know it, it wasn't and it didn't really indicate anything and um, yeah I think I think but you know to be fair similarly. Uh, the general consensus is also that there was nothing untoward going on in San Luis when Topalov, uh, you know, had this brilliant performance and uh, and won the tournament there, uh, and was uh, uh, accused by by certain um, circles, uh, you know, around especially in Russia of of cheating there and having some kind of you know eye contact hand signals with with Silvio in the crowd. I, I think most people uh, also don't find that uh, credible uh, either. So, yeah, I think, you know, cheating is certainly a, a perennial concern, but at the very top level, uh, I haven't seen any great cause for alarm. I think, you know, you go down down a little bit, you know, uh, even grandmasters, but but certainly in amateur events, this is a much bigger uh, problem and a much bigger issue for, for players uh, than it is uh, in the really elite circles. Okay. Um okay and lawrence my last my last question for you cool. uh, so you're a great 
chess player in your own right. And sometimes I think with all of the media work you do, that that gets a little swept under the rug. So do you have any uh, chess ambitions currently? Are you going to be playing? Yes. So I have, a lot of people will know this who have been following me. I have one remaining chess ambition, and it's not to become world champion. Uh, and I know Magnus quaking in his boots. Uh, he can he can rest a little now. But no, I um, I would still like to get my GM title. So um, believe it or not, I am going to be playing an event very, very soon. I'm going to be playing at the Grenka uh, Chess Open or Chess Classic, which is down in Karlsruhe in the south of Germany, um, which is an open tournament that happens over Easter. So it's, it's a good time for me because... A lot of people are, are off work or things are shut. And, yeah, I'm still kind of – there's that one remaining thing that I want to do, and that is get my GM title. I've got two GM norms, and I never crossed 2,500. And at the moment, I'm I, I'm at about 2,455. Uh, I just actually – I still play Bundesliga on a Sunday. So our team in the Bundesliga, um, Norderstedt, which is a team in the north of Hamburg. We were in the second Bundesliga so league, if I can put it like that, uh, Bundesliga Nord, but the north Bundesliga league. And um, we're winning the we're winning the league by two points with two matches to go. So if we win that league, we go back up to the Bundesliga. We actually played Bundesliga last year, and comparatively, of course, our team compared to the Bundesliga teams, we're, we're outrated by about two hundred and fifty points on every board per match. So we are, you know, we're big favorites to get relegated again, but that's always really nice to play. I really have some really cool teammates. Um, So I'm playing that, uh, but the GM title is still, is still the thing that I want to, to give one last proper go at and properly study. I never really properly studied. I hand on heart. I didn't and really got, some structure in my studying because I think I've got the goods to be able to do it. Um, but it's going to take one last effort that that's really the only remaining chess ambition I've got. I I've got no desire to become 2600 win a certain tournament that none of that interests me. I just want to get the GM title and then I can happily say I did it and I can retire and tick that one off the, off the bucket list and it and it is a big one on the bucket list i i can't deny it um well, yeah, so we'll see you're right there i you know um, I, and I have the luxury of being nowhere near grandmaster strength <laughs> yeah so. i mean i i am right there and i'm not like you i i'm part of that very famous group of people who hang around 2450 2480 for for the, the major part of their lives and can't seem to make that final breakthrough um, so I'm hoping that, uh, case is going to be on my side if I do give it one, one last shot. And I'm really looking forward to playing actually in just, I think it's just in 10 days time, actually, the yeah. Culls Raw over Easter. Yeah. The, the, the Granke Open is, is going to be played in this beautiful hall actually, because we're, Chess24 is producing the, the Granke Classic commentary. And, right. uh, so the, the, uh, the elite players, including Magnus will be playing up on a, a stage and then the open tournament is just, uh, right down right there in the same great hall so uh it's it's, it's yeah. be a, it looks like a fantastic venue from the from the photos i've seen yeah and looking at the player list as well i'm ranked number 72 yeah, at the I mean, moment out of amazing 
It's extremely strong. And they're about, hold on a second, there's like 600 players. It's wow. insane. Sounds Actually, amazing. more. Hold on. There's, I'm looking here. The, up, the most recently updated 666 players. 666, baby. Um, <laughs> that's insane. So... Yeah, if they I mean, keep it I'm that actually, way, and then on Easter, you know, we'll have a real scandal here. <laughs> yeah, it will be scandalous. <laughs> <laughs> it starts on Good well, Friday. Well, <laughs> nice. Well, uh, Lawrence and Macaulay, and Lawrence, I wish you luck in that tournament. Of course, I know Thank you've you, got a, you've got a lot Thank of fans you. that'll be pulling for you. Do you guys? Um, I think people know they should be listening to the Full English Breakfast. Uh, any slackers who have not been downloading it and writing good reviews and listening when it comes out i i hope that you guys will will stop slacking and get with the program and do you guys have anything to say before we let you go well just that uh yeah you can find the feb at the feb.com and uh well if you want to follow uh, lawrence playing in the Granka open uh there are going to be quite a lot of boards broadcast there and uh they will be available on on chess 24 in the live tournament section and also there's an official website, GrenkaChessClassic.com, where, uh, where the elite event with live commentary will be. Yep, and you guys are both on Twitter. Lawrence seems pretty active. Macaulay, maybe slightly less, but... Uh, Much but less. You guys... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> follow, me on, follow me on Twitter, everyone. It's at uh, LawrenceTrentIM. Maybe Ben will put that in the notes yes, just I below will. The, the podcast title, because... Twitter definitely is my preferred form of social media. I am on Facebook, but I don't like I don't really use it that much. I a lot of my Twitter feed just comes through to Facebook, so I, I much prefer Twitter. Uh, follow the Phil English Breakfast, of course, at the FEB show. And, uh, just and want I'm to say Macaulay sixty four, which is sixty four squares on a chessboard, not my birth year. Ah, right. Yes. <laughs> no, I just wanted to say a big thank you to to you as well, Ben, for having us. It's been it's been fun, and uh, really looking forward to hearing uh, some more top quality podcasts. So great stuff. Yeah. Okay. Well. Th- All right. Thanks, guys. Good to talk to you. All right, guys. Thanks very much. Thanks for listening to Perpetual Chess. To hear more episodes, give feedback, or suggest guests, go to perpetualchesspod.com. If you like the show, please help me out by telling your friends and giving me a high rating on iTunes. I'll be back next week with another episode of the Perpetual Chess Podcast. Sports Social Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.